This morning we're going to continue our study through our 52 favorite chapters of the Bible that were voted upon by this group of people in this class last year. We're going to be in Romans chapter number 1. Romans chapter number 1. And, uh, uh, well, I say this every week. <laughs> it's, never, it's never wrong to say this, but uh, talk about important chapters of the Bible that are critical. Um, many times, and we've been a part of it ourselves here in this church, whenever we are trying to get the gospel out to people, Many times what missionaries and even as a church, what we've done is we've gotten a copy of John and Romans printed and given to people because the book of Romans is so impactful, so important, so critical. And the the truth is, you know, I've heard it said before that if you understand the book of Romans, you can understand the rest of the New Testament. It's a foundational book. It's something that uh, Paul is is uh, some interesting things to note about the the book of Romans. It's Paul traditionally whenever you read a, a letter written by Paul. It's written to a church like in Corinth or, or a group of churches like in Galatia. Uh, and he's usually dealing with some kind of issue or problem in the church. And that's traditionally what you find in his letters, his epistles. He's, he's writing them to say, hey, knock it off, or, or whatever the case is, whatever kind of issue they're dealing with. The book of Romans is different. He's not, he's not addressing a specific issue. He's not saying, hey, I heard this, this, this was going on, and I'm writing to correct this. It's more of a... Uh, well, it's believed that the early Christians, the early, uh, early believers, they actually took the book of Romans and they kind of used that as their doctrinal creed. So it's like our church, we have a, you know, we have a constitution and, and some churches have creeds and some churches have statements of faith. Uh, this is what many believe the early church would take the book of Romans. And that was their, their statement of faith for what they believed. And, they would, uh, and it's commonly believed that in many churches they would read the, the letter of Romans every time they got together. They, every time they get together, they'd read that letter from Paul to remind themselves again and again of what Paul said because the book of Romans is so important for the Christian faith. Uh, there are many well-known uh, fathers of the faith that were saved as a result of reading the book of Romans. Um, I'm not sure if, if, if you guys have ever heard of Augustine of Hippo. Uh, this was a, this was a, a pastor in northern Africa. Um, during the Roman Empire, and he lived, you know, in the 300 A.D. time era. Um, he's uh, he's uh, attributed a lot of the uh, the core beliefs that we have as far as being able to articulate them. For example, the Trinity uh, comes comes back to, uh, comes back to a lot of his teaching and many other statements of faith that are attributed to him. But he 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 uh, credits the Book of Romans for his conversion, not just uh, uh, Augustine, but also uh, Martin Luther. Uh, the, uh, now. I'll, I'll, and here again, we talked about this last week. You know, we can have differences on different beliefs that shouldn't divide us. And, and perhaps maybe you and I may feel different about this. I, my personally, I personally believe the Baptist church did not come out of the Reformation. That, that's my part. Now, there are some people that would say, well, the Baptist is another Protestant, a Protestant denomination like all the other ones. And I don't, I don't hold to that view. I believe that, the, that there were a group of believers that may not have had Baptists on the name of their church but they believe the same core beliefs that we believe. And those people did never come, they were never part of the Catholic Church, they never came out of the Catholic Church. But many people that are saved, God-fearing, good children of God, are Protestants, they did come out of the Catholic Church, and that it can be attributed to Martin Luther. Martin Luther says he got his belief on faith and salvation from the Book of Romans, and he, he himself was saved out of the Book of Romans, and also John Wesley. Now, John, Wesley's a, well, John, Wesley's a, John Wesley was a Methodist. He was the founder of the Methodist Church. And once again, I don't believe all the things that Methodists believe. We, I wouldn't see eye to eye on eternal security and things like that. But John Wesley obviously was used greatly of God to reach many people. Once again, he attributes the book of Romans for his conversion. What I'm trying to say here this morning is the book of Romans is a powerful book that we should not overlook. We, and it's well worth 
extra study in our time as a Christian to know more about it. And, uh, and so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, it, it was written by Paul, probably in Corinth. He wrote it from Corinth uh, to these believers in Rome. He did not start this church. It's believed this church actually came out of the group of people that were together on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2. We, we just looked at that chapter last week. And, and if you remember that, there were people from all over the world that had come uh, to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And part of those people were from Rome. And when they were there at the day of Pentecost, I believe they went back to Rome and started a church there. And so Paul was writing to them. Um, and writing, he's anticipating to join them. He wants to come and be with them and, and fellowship with them. Uh, but also he wanted to uh, provide some doctrinal teaching, uh, not on, hey, your behavior's wrong or the church needs to be doing this, but more about God and salvation. Um, God is actually mentioned 153 times in the book of Romans. So that's about once every 46 words, God's name is used. God is used all over this book. And this, so this, this is almost uh, the gospel of God, maybe, is the way that we could talk about it this morning. Uh, not just as God mentioned 143 times. Here's some other words that are mentioned very prominently here in the book of Romans. The law is mentioned 72 times. Christ is mentioned 65 times. Sin is mentioned 48 times, and faith is mentioned 40 times. And this kind of gives you an outline or an idea of what is, the, what is the, uh, the, uh, the theme of the book of Romans. Well, it's about God. It's about the law. It's about Christ. It's about faith. It's about salvation. And so that's what we'll be looking at here this morning in Romans. I, have a, I did not have a handout this morning. I apologize for that. I was running a little bit behind this morning, so I didn't get it printed. Uh, but the theme of Romans chapter 1 if I was going to pick a topic or a theme for it, is man's guilty or man's guiltiness before God. That's the theme of Romans chapter number one. And the reason that Paul starts talking, you know, I don't know about you, but maybe whenever you introduce yourself or you begin to talk to somebody, you don't immediately go to how guilty they are. That probably wouldn't be the proper etiquette, you know, uh, in talking to people. But Paul's trying to lay a foundation. And this is the truth. No one can get saved until they first know they're lost. And so Paul is trying to explain uh, to these early Christians that maybe weren't really solid in their faith or salvation, trying to get them to understand the, the, how clear the gospel is and how important it is to, for people to understand that they are in judgment before God and we need to be saved. But what do we need to be saved from? And Paul tells us in this chapter, we need to be saved from the wrath of God. And so Paul begins this, 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 this letter to this church trying to explain to them uh, that, that man is in a terrible position before God, and unless something changes, they're destined for an eternity separated from God in a place called, in a place called hell. And so uh, I would say maybe the, the, um, the, the key verse here in this chapter is uh, Romans chapter 1, verse number 17, so we'll read that here. The Bible says, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And uh, this is the, uh, the message of the book of Romans. Uh, and you see this repeated again. And he talks about Abraham was saved by faith. It was counted to him to righteous because he believed the promises of God. He wasn't saved by his work. He was saved by his faith. And so Paul uh, wants to talk about this topic. Let's uh, begin in, in uh, verse number one. And we'll see in verses one through seven that we have a greeting from Paul. Now, uh, it was common back in those days. For example, if I was to write a letter um, to Brother Stone... I would write a letter, and, and I would begin, this is what I was taught in class whenever I went to school, I would begin with, uh, Dear Brother Stone. And then I would write whatever I wanted to say, and at the end of it, I would say, Sincerely or best regards, John McElroy. Well, in these, in these times, you did the opposite. 
you would begin with your who you are and then at the end you would list who the letter was intended to and you see that all throughout the bible and so many times paul begins by introducing himself first because that was that was common in those days and so paul introduces himself and he introduces himself in in a unique way he says paul verse number one a servant of christ i'm sorry a servant of jesus christ called to be an apostle separated under the gospel of god and so i want you to notice first that paul introduces himself and he says i want to first of all introduce myself as a servant or another word that would be used interchangeably is a slave. Paul wanted to, he, when he introduced himself, he said, hey, I want you to know who you're talking to here. You're talking to a slave. Uh, back in these days in Rome, it was very common, it was very common to have slavery. Uh, it's estimated that 60 million people in the Roman Empire were slaves. Uh, one in every three was, was a slave in those days. So this was a very common uh, thing in those days. And Paul uniquely or interestingly says, I'm a slave first, and an apostle second. Uh, Paul was a humble man. Paul came to them in a spirit of, I'm not here of my own accord, I'm here under the direction of my master. And whenever you're a slave, you don't get to decide what you want to do. When you're a slave, you don't get to decide where you want to go. When you're a slave, you don't get to live out your hopes and dreams for your life. You have a master that you answer to. And Paul was communicating to this church to say, first of all, I want you to know my, my intentions here, and that's I'm a slave of the master. And I'm an apostle second. He lists that after being called a slave. And whenever I read this verse, it just, it just a stark contrast to what we see today in churches in America. We have churches that are filled with celebrity pastors. They're trying to get a name for themselves. They're trying to get a following. They're trying to get recognition. They're trying to get power. And we have, uh, we have a, a, whole, a, whole, uh, a whole culture of Christianity in America today that's fixated on celebrating men and lifting men up and celebrating the accomplishments of men. But Paul was not like that. Paul said, I'm a slave first and then an apostle. He wasn't a celebrity preacher. And I would say, God, deliver us from celebrity preachers in America. Amen. They've done nothing but hurt America. They've done nothing but seek their own. They've done nothing but hurt people and hurt the name of Christ. And I would say, God, deliver us from celebrity preachers. There's nothing wrong with just being a faithful man of God and a small part of America just faithfully serving, ministering to your flock. There's nothing wrong with that. That's to be honored. That's to be celebrated. That's to be lifted up. That's an example of what a pastor should be. But we have pastors that want to be on TV and they want to be... You know, they want to go to the White House and be able to say, oh, I was part of the prayer breakfast for the, for the President of the United States. And we're filled with that. And it seeps into every part of Christianity, but not Paul. He also said that he was separated under the gospel of God. He had a special calling, a special mission. And that's certainly what you see in Paul's life from the time that he was converted on Damascus Road. He had a special ministry. Not like some of the other apostles. He was an apostle unto the Gentiles. He had a special mission and a special ministry. And it wasn't for himself. It was for the gospel of God. And then Paul introduces, after he introduces himself in verse number one, he introduces the gospel in verses two through six. He says, which he hath promised afore by his prophets in the holy scriptures. I want you to notice, first of all, whenever Paul talks about the gospel, he says, this isn't my gospel. This isn't what I invented. This wasn't some novel new thing no no this is what god promised back in the old testament this isn't a gospel based upon my authority or my belief or my doctrine no this is a gospel based upon god's authority and so this wasn't uh this wasn't some new invention of man this wasn't some new theory this was what god had promised back in the old testament 
And he goes on to say in verse number three, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to faith among all nations for his name. And so then Paul says here, he says, this is not just, uh, this is not just a gospel that, that God had promised in the Old Testament, but this is a gospel concerning his son. Jesus is the center of the gospel. Jesus is the center of the gospel. It's not baptism. It's not church membership. It's not religion. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It's not trying to be a good person or make sure your good works outweigh your bad works. Jesus is the center of the gospel. And Paul starts with Jesus because he is the center of the gospel. And not only do we see that this is a gospel concerning Jesus Christ, but it's based upon a person. He says here, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, salvation is not religion. Salvation is not performance. Salvation is a person. In Matthew chapter 6, I believe, or chapter 7, whenever Jesus talks about people coming to him on that last day, he said, many will come and say to me, Lord, Lord. Have we not done all these miraculous works? Have we not cast out devils? Have we not done things in your name? And Jesus' response to them was, depart from me. Not that you weren't religious. Not that you didn't do good behavior. But he said, the reason you're going to depart from me, I don't know you. Because salvation is a person. I've heard it said before, salvation is a relationship, not a religion. Now, I, I don't know if I would say it exactly that way, but I think there's a good sentiment there. The salvation is not based upon me or anything that I do here today or any, any worship that I do or anything that I can come up with. Salvation is based upon Jesus. Amen. And whenever Paul introduces the gospel, he starts with Jesus Christ. And then he, and then he, and then he um, provides proof for the authority of Christ in verses 3 and 4. He says, first of all, he fulfilled the prophecy. He said, uh, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. This was the prophecy in the Old Testament. that The Messiah would come through the seed of David. And Paul's saying, this is who you were waiting for. This is the Messiah. He came just as it was prophesied. But not just, you, you, can't be, you don't have to believe me just because he fulfilled prophecy, but you should believe what Jesus said because of his power that he showed when he rose, resurrected from the dead. He goes on to say, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. He's saying, listen, don't take my word for it. Look at the life of Jesus Christ. He died, he was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again. And there's witnesses all over the world that can testify to that fact. That he, we can believe who he said he was because of the power of his resurrection. And then he says, not only is there a proof of Christ's authority, but there's proof of the power to change lives in verse number five. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all the nations for his name. Paul was saying, you know why you should, you why, you know why you should believe the gospel? Not just because it came from God, not just because Christ is who he said he was, but because of the proof it has in changing people's lives. That there are life, and Paul's exhibit A, life after life of people whose lives were completely changed. They did a complete 180. Paul went from persecuting the church, uh, being a part of seeing Christians being killed and murdered, to being someone that built the church up and started churches and saw the gospel spread throughout all the known world. Well, how could that happen? Because there's power to change lives. And it's this grace he talks about here, by whom we have received grace you see, it's grace which, allow, which allows us to live for God. It's God's grace. It's not any goodness in me. It's not any goodness in you. It's only through God's grace that we have power to live a life of obedience. 
That's what he said here. He said, the grace that God gives us, by whom we have received grace and apostleship. Why? For obedience. Um, we'll talk about this in a moment, but you know, a lot of times we will, we, will, we, will, we will put faith in Jesus Christ to save us. I believe that if I, if I trust in Jesus, that he will save me. And that's what salvation is. I'm putting my confidence not in my own flesh, not in my own ability. I'm putting my, my only hope I have is in Jesus Christ. And what he did upon the cross and dying sacrificially for me and, pu- and imputing his righteousness upon me, it's only, that, only through that way I can be saved. And, and, and I hope this morning that is your testimony. But we, as Christians, we struggle when it comes to having faith and believing that we can obey God. Uh, what, what I mean is, like, we, we're like, yeah, I know that God can save me, but I don't think God can deliver me from my sin. I'm, I'm too addicted, or, 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 or I, you know, it's my, my culture, or it's from my, my childhood, or I grew up this way. And no matter what, God, will never, not, God can never fix this part of my life. And what, and what the Bible is saying is God gives us grace to obey. He gives us grace to obey, to be obedient to God. What I'm saying is, if we, in, uh, speaking uh, from my own personal life, my own personal experience, if I'm, if I'm struggling with sin, that's not God's fault. If, I, if, I'm, if I'm disobedient, that's not God's fault. He has given me all that I need to have victory in that area of my life. And not only does he say power to change lives, but he goes on to say, among all nations, this is a gospel for everyone. It's not just for one group of people. It's not just for the Jews. And it's not just for the people living back in those days. And it's not just for America. It's for all nations. All people can be saved and come to Christ. And so he introduces the apostles. So, so we see a greeting from Paul in verses 1 through 7. And then verses 7 through 15, we see concern from Paul. And when I, mean, when I say concern, I mean care. Care from Paul for this group of people in verses 7 through 15. He says, uh, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from, our, from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of the Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was left hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. So Paul now begins to talk about his concern he has for these group of believers, and he starts with saying, I'm thankful for you. He's saying, I'm thankful in verses 8. He says, I am thankful. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. He says, I'm thankful for your reputation. I'm thankful whenever people talk about the church in Rome, they have good things to say. That you're faithful to God, that, you, that you're obedient, that you're serving others, that you're praising and worshiping God with a full heart. I'm thankful for your reputation. And guess what? Uh, I wonder what people would say about our church. What would our reputation be? If someone from a distance was to hear about our church, I wonder what they would be told. I hope it's good things. I hope it's a church that's trying to serve and trying to reach the lost. But that's a good question for us to ask ourselves. But not just was he thankful for their reputation, he was thankful for their location. See, Rome was the the capital of the world at that time. And there was a thriving church there in the center of 
industry and politics and, 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 and all kinds of things, there was this group of believers that were having an impact, and they didn't even realize it all around the world. And so Paul is thankful for not just their reputation, but also for where they were located. Uh, I, I think maybe there's a, a truth for us here. We live in a capital city. We live in a city where we have a state capital, and we have opportunities that some people don't have. We can, we can drive from our house within minutes and go to a capital and talk to a politician and, and tell them uh, what, about values that we feel are important and ask them to represent us on things that would support Christianity. And I think that's a good thing for us to do. And so Paul was thankful for their location. And I wonder maybe this morning we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be uh, considering maybe how God could use us living in Jefferson City, Missouri to have an impact not just on our state but on our nation as well. Not only was he thankful for them, but in verses 9 and 10, he prayed for them. He says, for God is my witness. Sometimes you hear people say, I'll pray for you. And you're like, no, you won't. <laughs> or even worse, sometimes we'll say, I'll pray for you, and we don't. But Paul said, for God is my witness that I pray for you. Uh, I wonder if maybe some of the success that this church was experiencing was because someone was praying for them faithfully. I mean, I would love to have Paul praying for me. <laughs> I wonder if maybe this church didn't have a little uh, more unction of the Holy Spirit upon them because of Paul's fervent prayer for them. And it's a reminder to us to pray for our church. You know, if, if, if you come to church and maybe you're discouraged sometimes, you feel like, man, I just don't maybe feel the spirit the way that I sometimes do. Or I just don't feel like maybe we have the fellowship that we need. Or I feel like whatever, whatever insert whatever, you know, criticism you might have of the church. Our question should, should be, in response to those thoughts, is, well, how much am I praying for the church? Maybe if I prayed more, maybe those things would be different. And so Paul prayed for them. And it was Paul's desire to visit them. Uh, if you would just turn to, in, to uh, chapter 15 in the book of Romans, um, Paul really wanted to go to Rome. He really wanted to go to Rome. Uh, he mentioned it here in chapter 1. He mentions it again in chapter number 15. And we'll read uh, beginning in verse number 22. Now, what's happening is Paul, is Paul is writing to them saying, listen, I, I want to come to you, but first I have to go to Jerusalem. And we've talked about this in class before. The church in Jerusalem was under intense persecution. They lost all their livelihood. They lost their families. So other Gentile churches were taking up offerings and sending them to Jerusalem to support the Christians there. And so Paul is writing, saying, I want to come to you, but first I have to stop in Jerusalem. That's what he's referring to here in verse number 22. He says, uh, for which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you speaking to the church in Rome. But now having no more place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain. Now, uh, Paul never made it to Spain. I sometimes wonder if maybe Paul didn't. Uh, now, Paul fulfilled his ministry. Isn't that what he said? I finished my course. I fought a good fight. I'm not saying he didn't do what God told him to do. But I wonder if you look at Paul's, the map, you know, <laughs> I'm going to tell myself, some of my favorite pages in all the Bible of the maps at the back, man. I can't tell how many times as a kid in church I just spent the whole service just looking at maps, you know, because I was kind of bored or whatever. Uh, and if you look at the Paul's, Paul's ministries, his missionary journeys, he just makes a big loop again and again. Why is that? Because he'd go to churches and he'd get them established and he'd move on and guess what? That church would start falling apart when he left. And he'd have to come back again. And he'd have to come back again. And so he wasted, and I don't want to, that's probably not the right word to use, but he never made it to Spain because he was he kept having to go back and talk to the church at Corinth again and again. Uh, the church in Ephesus again and again. Uh, and, and so he never made it to Spain, but that was his desire. He says, whenever I take my journey to Spain, I will come to you for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way hither to by you if first I somewhat filled with your company. 
but now I go into Jerusalem to minister to the saints. I'm going to take an offering to them, is what he's saying. Um, for it hath pleased them in Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution to the poor for the saints who were in Jerusalem. And once again, these are the, the early Christians that were ostracized by their families because they put their faith in Jesus Christ on the day of Pentecost and those days after. And so Paul has, he has a desire to visit them. He, he wants to come and see them. And then in verses 11 through 12, he says that he longs for them. I, lo- I love you. I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that you may be established. But not just for myself, he says, that is, that I may be comforted together with you by mutual faith, both you and me. And so he, he longed to be with them and he desired to minister to them. Uh, but this is the, uh, the mystery of serving God. And if you haven't done it, I would encourage you to try it. <laughs> it's fun. This is what you will find if you go to minister, that you're the one that gets blessed. I've, I've mentioned this before. I don't like going to the jail. Brother, I'll, I'll, I'll confess to you. I don't like with anticipation. I, mean, I can't wait to go to jail tonight. It's not a fun place to be. Men are incarcerated for evil, wicked deeds. Yeah. I, I don't like going to nursing homes. And I, maybe you do. I, I, that's not, I, usually when you go, they don't smell good. Uh, I'm just telling the truth here. I mean, is that a lie? I'll tell you, I, I don't know, maybe I can, whenever I was in high school, we went to, we went to a nursing home, with, or we, I went to a school, and we went to a nursing home at Christmas time to pass out, you know, the bananas and the combs and all the stuff that you, you know, the traditional stuff that you take to nursing homes, and whenever we came, they were waiting for us, like the, all the people had the, all the, all the, um, all the people in the, in the nursing home lined up uh, in chairs or in wheelchairs lined, to greet us, you know, because it was, hey, we, we're so thankful you came, and they're so glad that you came, and I could tell a lot of my friends were, a little standoffish. They were a little like, oh, I'm afraid I might catch oldness if I touch them. I don't know what they what their thought was. Uh, we all, we all catch oldness, by the way. Uh, yeah, I got a good dose of it myself. Um, but my, I've been raised going to nursing homes my whole life. My mom was always taking us. I go with my grandma, and we we'd go visit people all the time. And so I always felt more comfortable. It's like, let me lead the way. So uh, there was this one lady had the biggest smile on her face, seemed so pleasant, and I was like, let me show them how it's done. So I walk up, I was like, oh, it's so good to see you. Um, thank you for having us. Here's a banana. And I went to shake her hand. And whenever I went to shake her hand, uh, you know, like this, there was something sticky in her hand. And I don't know what it was. To this day, I don't know what it was, but it, I was like, oh, no. Uh, and then I could see in her eyes, uh, you know, not all, the, not all the elevators were making it to the top floor. And, uh, and so she, she, grabbed, she grabbed my hand. And, and she starts pulling it towards her face. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? She's going to kiss my hand. And then she opens her mouth, and I see her dentures are in backwards, upside down. So, that, so now she has, like, this crazy, like, set of teeth coming at me. And then at the last second, one of the workers comes over and is like, oh, don't touch her. She'll bite you. Because uh, that's, you know, that will happen sometimes when people lose their minds. What I'm saying is I don't like going to those places. They're little, they're, like, weird things happen, and you, you get exposed. Uh, man, I, uh, I've seen some things in nursing homes you can't unsee is what I'm saying, people. And if you go to them very often, you will see some things too. But here's the truth. This is the mystery. Every time I've gone to the jail, Brother Roy, every time I've gone to the nursing home, I've come out blessed. I went there with the intention, I feel sorry for these people, and I'm going to go be a blessing to them. And I left, and they encouraged me. And that's what Paul is saying. He's like, I have a desire to come to you, not just so you can be blessed, but I need to be blessed too. Paul understood that whenever you serve God, you're the one that receives a blessing. You're the one that receives that, that peace and that grace from God. And then he says in verses 13 and 14, he says, I, I want to come to you because I'm indebted to you 
Now, um, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was left hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you, uh, also even as among the Gentiles. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So uh, in a couple of different ways, Paul is saying, you say, first of all, listen, I have, I have the gospel. It's been entrusted to me, and I have a debt to you. I have to tell you about God's goodness. I have to tell you about Jesus Christ. I'm indebted to you. There's a spiritual indebtedness. I, I, I've been given such a gift, I can't keep it to myself. I must tell other people. And what an example Paul is for us. You've received the exact same salvation he received. You've received the exact same commission he received. And so our, our, our obligation is we have a debt to those that are lost. And so Paul says, I'm indebted to you. But not just in a spiritual sense, but Paul says, I'm indebted for what you've provided for me. You Gentiles have provided something for me. Uh, in that day, they had a very stable government. They had world peace at the time. Paul had freedom to travel wherever he wanted because of what the Gentiles had done. Paul had access to roads. Paul had, uh, because of what Gr uh, Greece had done, and then Rome, and then Rome continued, there was, a, there was a, uh, a common language for all people. They could all speak the same language. So Paul could go to any part of the known world and be able to communicate. They all had the same culture. They could talk about the same things and relate. And Paul's saying, as a Jew, I have, I'm indebted to you because of what you provided for me to, to spread the gospel. And whenever I think about what uh, Paul had in those days, it, it, uh, it, it brings my mind back to our government and what we've lost. I'm not sure I would say we have a stable government today. I would say that we, uh, we have not had world peace in a long time. We've had constant war since, uh, since the 1940s. Constant war. Has there been a time when we have not been fighting somewhere around the world? And we can debate about the reasons why and was it a good idea or a bad idea, but the truth is it's their reality. There's not world peace. We're losing our common culture. We're being divided. And we're allowing it to happen to us in America. And then don't get me started on our roads. <laughs> but we are indebted to our country. It's popular to, to, to criticize America today. There's a lot of people that make a lot of money doing it. A lot of people are, as politicians, have, are dedicating their life to destroying America. But we have a debt to what we've been given by our forefathers here in this country. We've been blessed. Uh, other, than, other than Israel itself, I'm not sure there's been another nation more blessed of God than America. And, and I'm, I'm not happy with where we've gone I'm not happy with where we're going, and I hope that you aren't as well. And our solution to that is to pray, to spread the gospel, to reach more people for Christ. To, to, uh, we're not going to save America through Washington, D.C. And, and, your, and your Savior's not going to come as, in the form of a president. But Paul was ready to see them. He says in verse number 15, So as much as in me I am ready... To preach the gospel to you that are also at Rome. Uh, Paul, uh, it said, if he had a maybe a, uh, if he had a, a motto, it would be, I'm ready. Whenever Paul was first reached on the road to Damascus, what was the first thing that he said to Jesus Christ? He said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? That was his immediate response. Whenever he was uh, struck by blindness before Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, he said, Lord, what will thou have me? I'm ready. What do you want me to do? And what a great attitude to have. But not just was he ready whenever he was called, but also in verse, in verse 15 he says, I'm ready to preach and I'm ready to serve. I'm ready. Whatever God calls me to do, whatever, whatever place he wants me to go, I'm ready to preach. 
In Acts chapter 21, in verse 13, he said, I'm, re I'm ready to suffer. I wonder if we are ready to suffer. We spend most of our lives trying to avoid suffering. But Paul said, I'm ready to suffer. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he was talking to this church. He said, listen, I'm coming back, and if things aren't fixed by the time I get back, I'm ready to, I'm ready to implement discipline. Now, I don't, I don't know about you as a parent. I don't ever want to do that. I'm certain as a pastor, our pastor never wants to do discipline, but Paul said, I'm ready to do it. If that's what has to be done, I'm ready to do it. And then finally, at the end of his life, in 2 Timothy, he said, I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. I am ready to go. I'm ready to die. Paul was a man who was always ready, and that should be our testimony as well. So we see Paul's greeting to them, and now we see Paul's message to them in verses 16 through 32. Um, I, would, uh, I would say, uh, you know, we're going to talk about some things t this morning that um, maybe, for, uh, maybe for younger people may not be uh, wholly appropriate, but it's in the Bible, and so we need to talk about it. It's, I didn't realize this until I was studying through this, but Charles Spurgeon himself never read publicly uh, the second half of chapter one in the book of Romans. He would tell his people, you need to read that at home and, and meditate upon what it says because he just felt it was too coarse to even talk about mixed company. Um, uh, and I, I, you know, I'm not going to say that was wise or unwise, but if, if it's in the Bible and God said, I think as Christians, we should talk about it. Amen. And so he begins now to make a, a transition from having a greeting to now saying, and this is why I'm talking to you. This is the message I have for you. He says in verse number 16, he says, first of all, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He said, I'm not ashamed. Now, in that day, if you were a Christian, that was a shameful thing. It was shameful because you're, you know, they, would, they would mock them and criticize them and say, oh, your Savior was crucified. Being crucified was a curse. It was a shameful thing. It was a, it was a, it was a, it was a miserable thing to, to, for someone to be crucified. And you think your Savior was was you think the person that was crucified is going to be your savior? Oh, get out of here. You guys are crazy. This is the attitude they had toward Christians. It'd be like if we, if we said, hey, uh, you know, our, uh, you know, our, our spiritual leader uh, was, was electrocuted, uh, you know, capital punishment or had the injection or whatever. That's kind of the, the way they thought about it. And so there was this, there was this, maybe this, and also, you know, um, the Lord's Supper, and this has been, um, this has been, uh, uh, manipulated in the wrong way, but but they would, based upon the Lord's Supper and what Jesus said uh, at the Last Supper, whenever they would observe the Lord's Supper, the, the, the Gentiles, the unbelievers, would say, oh, they're practicing cannibalism in there. Because they're saying they're eating the body of Christ. Now, this is all symbolic. He even said, this is a, Jesus literally said, this is a symbol of my flesh. It wasn't literally his flesh. But the people would criticize Christians and say, oh, they're a cannibal cult. Because they think they're eating the body of Christ. And so there was, there was people that were ashamed of being a Christian. But Paul said, I'm not ashamed because of the authority I have in Christ. I'm not ashamed. Uh, I, uh, I, when I was in college, I had, went, had, a, uh, I had a, uh, a dorm mate named Travis Crutchfield. Do you guys know Travis Crutchfield? Okay, he lives here. He actually lives, he actually lives in, in Holt Summit. You know, okay, we got one that knows Travis. You can tell him I talked about it this morning. <laughs> you can ask him about the story. We were in the dorm one night, and he passed out. He just literally just, we were just talking, having a good time or whatever, and he just literally passed out. We couldn't get him to wake up. And so we were panicking, and so, you know, we, 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 I was like his knight in shining armor. I came and picked him up like a little kid. We ran out to the car. We threw him in the car. We were just trying to get to the, we were trying to get to the hospital because we weren't sure what was wrong. We weren't sure if he was dying or had a heart attack. We had no idea. And so we were trying to get him to the hospital. And as we were driving and pulling out of the parking lot, I saw a police officer. 
across the street at a, a convenience store. And so I thought, well, let's, let's go over there. Maybe you can help us. I don't know, because I don't know CPR or anything. So we ran over there. I'm like, and I wave him down, and we, we pull up. And I'm like, please come, help, please come help my friend. He's passed out. And then what the cop said, the first thing he said was, what, what drugs is he on? <laughs> that's the first thing the cop said to me. And I'm like, I guess that's a common thing you would say uh, if somebody passes out if you're a cop. But uh, I was like, I, he's not on any drugs. We're trying to get him to the hospital. And so the, the police officer said, okay, follow me. And so we got to, I'm not sure if you've ever been in that situation where you got to escorted by a police officer with his lights and sirens going on, but it's pretty amazing. You get to, you know, zigzag through traffic. We were blowing through stop signs. We were blowing through stoplights to try and get to the hospital as quick as possible. And whenever Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed, he's giving it this kind of thought of like, in that scenario where you're following a police officer, I'm not worried about obeying traffic laws because I have authority to follow that police officer. I'm not worried about somebody criticizing me because I went through a stop sign, because I have authority given to me by the police officer to follow him. What Paul is saying is I'm not, I'm not ashamed because of the authority I have. The power of the gospel and the message it can have, the impact to change people's lives. I'm not ashamed of anything about Jesus Christ. And so Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He says, for it's the power unto salvation. And boy, power was the currency of Rome. People desired power more than anything. Uh, they, 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 would, they would do anything to obtain that power, these people living in Rome. As I said, Rome was very much like what we would call Washington, D.C. today. And, and isn't that what Washington, D.C. is full of? It's full of people that, are, that want power. That's what they want. They want to be in control. They want power. They want to control you. They want to control your life. They want to tell you how you should live your life. This is what they want in Washington, D.C., and that's what they wanted in Rome at the same time. They have a desire for power. But just like, just like Rome in those ancient days, and just like Washington, D.C. today, although they desire power, they have no true power to change anybody's life. There's nothing they're doing in Washington, D.C. that changes anybody's life. There's, no, there's nothing they're doing. There's no law they're passing. They're signing that's changing anybody's life. It's all about them. It's all about their power. And Paul said, I, I'm not ashamed because I know what the real power is. And it's not politicians. It's not through passing laws. It's not through getting, you know, the emperor to sign some decree. It's through the power of the gospel. There's no true power to change lives in our state capital or our nation's capital or any capital run by men. Only through Jesus Christ can we see the power of salvation. In verse number 17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. And this is, as I mentioned earlier, this is, uh, the gospel is proof of God's righteousness because it shows he judged sin. God judged sin. Whenever he put his only begotten son upon the cross, he judged the sin of the world. God is saying, listen, it's not okay to commit. It's, I'm so serious about it, I put sin of the world upon my son. It shows his righteousness, but it also shows his goodness to us. That he's invited you and I to partake in this salvation. And, and, and power to be saved is through God's righteousness, not our righteousness. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, the Bible says. And it's only through God's righteousness. And then he says, faith to faith. What does that mean? It means the same faith that saved you is the same faith that will mature you. To help you get victory over sin. To help you serve God with power. To help you live the Christian life that he wants you to live. It comes through the same faith that saved you is the same faith that will mature you. And then he says, the, the, the just shall live by faith in verse number 17. The just shall live by faith. Salvation is not by works. Uh, John Wesley, who I mentioned earlier, the father of the Methodist Church, he was a pastor and a missionary, and then he got saved. Yeah. Because he thought salvation was about works. 
And it wasn't until he read the book of Romans he realized salvation is about faith. And as a missionary on the mission field, John Wesley got saved. Because salvation is by faith, not by works. In the verses 18 through 32, we'll spend the last few moments of our class. We see that we are all guilty before God. Let's just, let's just read through this. We're almost out of time, and then we'll kind of hit a couple of the high points here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation are, uh, of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even the, his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. We're guilty before God is what Paul is saying. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own heart, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause... God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one towards another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of the error which, is, which was met. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, mal- maliciousness, full of envy, murder. 